And just like that, like every good project, we're back and we're going to redo what I figure is a particularly important podcast, if, if especially if you're an operator or a pilot, um, up-and-coming aviator, flight crew. I really believe that safety should be something that you should be able to listen to without some annoying click in the back like there's a humpback whale wanting to mate with you every 30 seconds. Uh, I apologize about that. had the metronome button on because, quite frankly, I was quarantined and I was day drinking and I just felt like going on a rant. This is going to be a much more streamlined design than the original Safety Cast. I'm sorry. Welcome to Safety Cast Redo uh, with an X uh, at the end. Anyways, you'll figure it out. So, once again... Really sorry about the other one, but let's get into this. It's uh, currently it's June seventh. It's day after D Day. The seventy sixth anniversary of D Day was yesterday. Uh, lots of flyovers in in the northeast part of the United States. Don't know if anybody across the pond did any of that kind of stuff, but uh, uh, hopefully you did. Yeah, that was a drink. Sorry about that. And uh, yeah, it's just good to see everybody's at least doing something. Uh, my first air show is. Uh, New York Air Show, which I have no idea how the the great Brian Lilly is going to pull that off, being in New York State. But uh, it's August thirty first. I yeah, we'll see if uh, we'll see if uh, Governor lets all that stuff happen, and let's just pray that it, it goes through. I'm down to like two or three shows this year. This year sucks. I just I really need my my hundred and eighty day money back guarantee for twenty twenty. I'm sure you do too. So let's dive into this. Safety has been my absolute love of this industry for for years and you know what i will be the first to say that it has been a a learning curve for me over the years because i didn't always do all this stuff i wish somebody would have had something like this whenever i was up and coming to tell me about all the things safety related what to what not to do what to wear what not to wear don't waste your money on this waste your time on or waste your time on this Uh, you know it's a lot of the information that's going to be in this this podcast is going to be condensed. Literally, I'm going to go through, for the most part, what I wear in just about every every aircraft as a as a safety precaution. Uh, and there's going to be three main questions to go over it, and that's why wear it, what aircraft does it apply to, and where can you get it slash how much does it cost? Because let's face it, cost is a big factor in everything and anything we do in this industry. So. I'll be upfront and transport, transparent and honest with you about it. So without further ado, probably the most underutilized piece of equipment in Warbirds is the Mighty Helmet. Some people make fun of other people for flying in helmets. Some people make fun of other people for flying around in Bose headsets, which I do frequently. Everybody needs to stop that. Uh, especially if you're in an airplane you can jump out of, which I'm going to get to here in a second, but I digress. The helmet is probably, as much as a, as a parachute, is probably one of the most important things you can wear in one of these aircraft. Surplus military aircraft, uh, aerobatic aircraft. I, I do not know why more people are not wearing a hard helmet. There's tons of places you can get them. We'll go over that here in a second. But why wear it? Because look, it's a level of it's a level of cheap insurance. It is protecting your noggin from all over the place. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, modern military helmets are really designed to protect the top of your head, not the front. There's some 
there's there's a lot of truth to that. But a lot of the modern day helmets, like what custom fight helmets, like what Alpha, like what uh, uh, Gibson Barnes, all those guys are putting together, those are a little more modern Kevlar and uh, composite helmets that they're wearing. I think also uh, Lyft has one that's more of a looks almost like a ski hel- like a ski helmet or a motorcycle helmet. It's more for ultralights. I really, really highly recommend everybody wears. If it's an open cockpit airplane, I don't know why you're not wearing some form of helmet, hard helmet. Okay, you can. Uh, Campbell makes a uh, a World War II style. It's leather, but it's Kevlar underneath. Uh, it's a little heavier, but it's modern day comms, but it has that uh, Battle of Britain, um, World War II look to it. They are extremely comfortable. They are also pretty expensive. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, you know, mostly most of the time the the helmets are going to run you anywhere from a thousand to two thousand. I know the Campbells are running a little more expensive. I think they're either twenty three or twenty four. But Ivan and uh, uh, his lovely wife, I her name escapes me, uh, down in New Zealand, make those, and they're just they're worth the money, folks. Please, if you're if you're even if you're riding in one of these airplanes, you need to invest in a helmet. Uh, the helmets generally come in two forms of communication cords or comm cords, as we talk about, as we say. Some airplanes are set up for a dual plug, like what you have in your Cessna 150. It's uh, essentially a mic and a uh, phone. Or you can do the helicopter plug or the military four-ring plug, it's called, which is a single point. Uh, most of my aircraft have the single point plug. It's just, uh, you know, you're not dealing with more than one, more than one uh, cable on that. But... The helmets, I cannot stress this enough. You you really need to. They're. I know they probably don't look in place. You know, if I'm fl- I'm flying around in a Mustang with uh, essentially a race car suit and a helmet and oxygen mask. I either look like I'm getting ready to fly a Tie Fighter or uh, walk over to a NASCAR. One of the two things, but I don't really care because it's functionality. And in my in my point of view, it's only a matter of time before you jump out of one of these airplanes or you put it into a field because stuff happens and these airplanes aren't getting any younger uh, even though that even though the engines are overhauled the technology really hasn't gotten any any further along i mean here i am working on my uh my, my spare engine right now and it's literally late 30s early 40s technology on everything we're still using magnetos we're still using pressure carburetors uh single stage coolant pumps i mean literally there's so much so many things that can go wrong in these engines and you need to give yourself all the help you can get and helmet's going to help you if you need to jump out of the airplane if you have a forced landing and your head goes underneath the uh the dash or into the dash it's going to provide you just that level of of protection so you know nobody wants to talk about the bad stuff everybody wants to talk about how good these airplanes are no one wants to talk about the risk that's what i'm here for but let's go to the second thing which is the most overutilized thing in the warbird industry and that's the flight suit you walk down the flight line and hell you'll see fans wearing flight suits which i still don't understand i understand you're a fan but it's probably 105 degrees outside and here you are voluntarily putting on some some kevlar now the standard military flight suit the green the tan um those are really good flight suits they're a little hotter than like what i'm wearing i'm wearing an alpine stars racing suit gives you a little more it's a little more robust, a little more rugged, uh, way more expensive, but it's also custom fit. I can, with Nomex thread, I can put my, uh, my sponsors and my partners on there. It's, it's very much needed in the fighters because a lot of times you have flammable fluids running to the back of your instrument panel. For instance, uh, 
most fighters have a thing called a fuel transducer, which is fuel will run to the firewall, and then there's a, a pressure sensor, for the lack of words, that tells you your fuel pressure. But a lot of folks don't put those transducers in anymore, and they'll run legitimately fuel to the back of the instrument panel, which gives you a more stable reading because those fuels transducers fail a lot. So people just sort of take them out of the take them out of the loop. And you ask, well, why would you do that? That's dangerous. Well, why do we do a lot of things that are that are either dangerous or not? Also, I have boiling hot water at my feet. Those coolant tubes run right underneath the floorboards, and if you get a pinhole leak in that thing, you'll get piping hot steam and boiling hot glycol that's going to absolutely peel the flesh off of your your legs if you're wearing uh, jeans or something cotton or something like that so you really need to have Nomex if you're flying a 51 and a lot of the T6 guys they don't really understand that um, it also is abrasion protection uh, a lot of the T6 guys I see like for instance there was some T6 guys that came by uh, our, our aerodrome yesterday and uh, they both got out and they're wearing Columbia shirts and, and jeans. And um, I mean, I'm just crying. I didn't say anything to them because, look, I'm, I'm already known as a safety Nazi. But, you know, that stuff is just tender. I mean, it's just it's flammable as hell. It doesn't it doesn't really protect you much in a crash. And these flight suits will provide a layer of protection for you. I'm a big advocate of the racing suits, but everybody doesn't want to look like they just they just won the you know the Lowe's 400. So I get that. Um, so the military flight suits, the uh, CWP or CW27 uh, or CWU27, whatever they are, you can legitimately get them on eBay. They're a couple hundred bucks. You can sew your patches on there if you want. Um, I mean that's all well and good. Theoretically, if you're going to sew anything on it, you should find Nomex thread. But good luck finding that. So try to find one with Velcro. That's that's really the easiest if you want to put patches and put your name tag on it and stuff like that. Um, so that's that's flight suits in a nutshell. I believe that you should fly, you should wear helmets and flight suits in any aircraft. That you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're a bomber crew, you should be wearing a flight suit. Helmets optional, but there's a lot of stuff in that cockpit you can hit. Okay, I know a lot, I know all the bomber guys fly with. Uh, uh, like headsets, or they fly with uh, the old command headsets that they did in the 40s. That's, I mean, sure, that's fine. Uh, I know a lot of the A26 guys, the attack guys. They're wearing uh, they're wearing helmets because it's just a little more confined cockpit. So as far as I'm concerned, if your neck can reach eight inches in any direction, meaning if it's stretching, because keep in mind your seatbelts are going to stretch. They don't hold you into place firmly like you think. They will stretch up to four four inches, and your neck and your limbs and all that stuff, if you hit hard enough, will stretch as well. That's why I say eight inches. If your head's anywhere eight inches anywhere in the cockpit, you should probably wear a helmet. That's that's my. I meant to talk about that, but same thing with the flight suits. I think if you're flying any surplus military aircraft, you need to at least protect yourself from abrasion, from marks, from nicks, from fire, from uh, fluids in the cockpit, all that kind of stuff. You really need to work on that. Um, now here's the one that I'm really bad on is gloves. Gloves will. So let's say there is a fire in the cockpit, and Essentially, you're now in a blast furnace because with fire, there is airflow in the cockpit. So now you're essentially in a in a uh, Bunsen burner, if you will. Gloves aren't going to protect your fingers that much, but it will give you that enough to, to grab onto the escape handle or uh, provide you with just that level of uh, that level of tactile protection. Um, I cut the fingers out of mine because I. Uh, because I run an iPad and those things you put on your gloves that you know in the winter time, so you can do those don't those don't work. So uh, I'm bad about that. It's more of a do as I say, not as I do thing. 
But uh, main reason why I wear gloves is my hands sweat like like it's going out of style. And while I'm doing a demo, last thing I want is is not very good grip on on either the stick or the throttle or whatever I'm trying to manipulate. So uh, why wear it? It just once again it gives you that one percent two percent edge. And uh, any aircraft, I mean, once again, bombers, fighters, transports, liaison aircraft, gloves are gloves should be a thing. They really should. Whether you want to cut the fingers out or not, that's up to you. But uh, I prefer you don't. But once again, I'm, who am I to say? And you can put and you can pick them up at Gibson Barnes. You can pick them up at uh, uh, eBay. That's actually where I got mine for years. Was eBay and surplus military stores. They have a great selection, as well as as well as flight suits. And I'll get to why I would never buy a helmet from a military surplus store. If we're going to get to that in a second, boots. You should really wear. You should really wear foot protection that protects your ankles because if you do need to jump out of an aircraft. I don't want to be relying on my New Balance tennis shoes to to perform a parachute landing fall or a PLF. Ask any paratrooper or anybody that's ever jumped out of a uh, helicopter or a um, military platform. You're like, hey, when's the last time you jumped out in tennis shoes? And sure, I'm sure there's 1%, 2% that say they do, but you need some ankle stability. And further, furthermore, once again, my biggest fear in flying is a, is a fire in a cockpit. If the fire is in the cockpit, boots are going to give me just a little more edge than, you know, your your nylon New Balance or your Adidas tennis shoes um, or Chucks, as I saw a guy flying a T6 and not too, not too long ago. So then there's that. Speaking of getting out of aircraft, let's talk about the parachute. It absolutely, I am appalled at the number of fighters that have overstuffed cushions that they just... You know, they go to Oregon Arrow and they get a seat cushion kit and they're not wearing a parachute. Dude. Or dudette. That is that is not kosher in any way, shape, or form. If you are able to jump out of the aircraft in the air, and I'm including Cessna, Aerobat, um, Super Decathlon, anything with a releasable canopy door, escape hatch, you should be wearing a parachute. If you don't, I can't help you. You should probably go listen to another podcast because I just, I can't help you at that point. How much would you pay for a parachute if, let's say, God forbid, you had a midair and you lived, and now that you have the ability to get out, how much would you pay for a parachute at that point? Or, let's say you're on fire and you're over a mountainous area where you can't put the airplane down. Yeah, exactly. So, parachutes, there's, there is a plethora of sport chutes and seatbacks uh, there, there's seat packs and then there's backpacks. So I fly with a backpack just because from the time I, and the difference is obviously what you think you, you actually sit on the, the seat pack, um, for, for the seat type. And then the backpack is literally like what you see the, uh, sport jumpers jumping with, but I don't jump with a sport rig. It's still an emergency rig. Uh, I jump with a back or excuse me. I fly with a backpack just because I used to practice egress, which a lot of folks, don't for some reason and it, it, it just blows my mind that nobody does practice pulling the canopy undoing your latches and and jumping out for like the mustang you jump out the right side so the propeller slipstream pulls you away from the tail if you can um i was averaging almost a full second less which in a second think about it if you're if you're jumping out of an airplane and you're going 250 300 miles an hour that's a second is four or five hundred feet like that's that's quite a bit. Um, 
So that's why I'm big on the parachute. There's tons of manufacturers for them. You've got Butler and uh, Strong, which are like the two main Warbird ones. Strong, I highly, highly recommend the Strong ones. They're rated for like, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's a very, very high uh, opening number, meaning that like you can be going 400 knots and pull the chute and it won't rip. Like it's it's pretty damn cool. And same with Butler. I believe they have that uh, that uh, system on there. I personally fly with a Softy just because it's a, it's a backpack rig and it... Uh, uh, it's got a, a unzippable, or excuse me, it's got a zippable, re- releasable uh, butt pad that will not interfere with anything uh, in the parachute operation, and it fits great. Um, anyways, you need to, you need to invest in a parachute. Those are those are the companies. Those are the three main companies I would go with. Um, what about what do you wear underneath your safety gear? So let's talk about huh, we'll call it underwear, okay? Which is obviously your skivvies or your your t-shirt, the t-shirt that you wear underneath, as I've said before, should be cotton. Now I'm a, I am a huge violator of this because I used to fly with an Under Armour shirt and now I don't anymore. I used to fly with an Under Armour shirt for Captain America because of, that's just, that was just my good luck shirt. That's just what I flew with. Well, you know, the melting point of, of Under Armour shirts are, I mean, so let's say that there is a fire and my suit is protecting me from the flames. It's not protecting me from the heat. So that shit will literally melt to my skin. Like, not cool. That's not how I want to become a mutant. That's not my idea. I mean, if there's some, like, radiation that makes me fly, that'd be great. But not some, you know, Under Armour that melts to my skin. That's that's not kosher in any way, shape, or form. So, cotton shirt, it's got a, got a higher melting point or higher flyable point than your your other stuff. Cotton socks, same thing. Uh, Nomex socks are better, but once, once again, good luck wearing it, or good luck finding it. Um... Now, I wear a mask, and I get a lot of flack for this. I, uh, when I say flack, uh, hang on, i got a drink here. Um, I wear a mask in Quicksilver for really three main reasons. But the primary reason why I wear it is because what bugs me is when I'm flying formation with some fighter dude, or I'm doing an airshoe routine with a bunch of fighters, and somebody's trying to tell me something, and I can't friggin' hear you because your boom mic on your... Uh, helmet is picking up all your engine noise like marks off man like unsat like you need to you need to get that stuff under control even back during the second world war battle of britain pilots had this um this flap that went over their mouth which encompassed their and they later on had an oxygen tube to win and they called it an oxygen mask it didn't really seal it just put more oxygen in front of your face um and the Campbell helmets actually come with that, by the way. It's not an auction mask, but it protects your mouth from um, from outside noise. That's the main reason why I wear one. The secondary, the, the secondary and tertiary reason, the secondary reason is for carbon monoxide in the cockpit. If you ever put one of those little carbon monoxide detectors in the cockpit of a Mustang, I hate to tell you, those the, the stacks are eight feet in front of your face, the exhaust stacks. Yeah, so, I mean, there's always, always some sort of exhaust smell in the airplane, like, and like I said, once again, there's people that fly around in Bose headset flight suit and tennis shoes. So, uh, we, of course, we never said humanity was smart. But that's another reason. And the third reason is if I'm flying on oxygen, it's going to keep me just a little more alert. And it actually lowers your body temperature by almost up to a degree, which, I mean, you got to look. And this airplane below 10,000 feet, there's not air conditioning. There's not really airflow through the cockpit. So it, the cockpit can get well over, well in excess of 100 degrees easily, easily with the canopy closed. It's like a greenhouse effect. So every little bit helps. So that's why I wear a mask. That's why I look like Darth Vader going on vacation. Um, 
and I don't really care. I'm not, I'm not here to look at, I mean, all you got to do is look at me when I walk around on a daily basis. I'm not, I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm here to just fly airplanes. So, and that's masks in a sense. If you want to wear a mask, great. They, you know, you might not want to wear one in an L4, but at the same time, you know, if you, if you wore a, a Campbell with a, a mouth flap on it, I don't think anybody's going to say anything to you. And if they do, they're just, they're just haters and they're just upset. They're not flying an L4. So there you go. Uh, a lot of folks are going to are going back to the old equipment, and that's why I preach like the Campbell helmets or the reproduction equipment with a modern flare. Like a, there's actually a company that's escaping me. You're gonna have to Google it. They make old flight suits, like old era flight suits, out of Nomex. So if you wanted to look like if you had a, access to a Corsair and you want to look like Pappy Boynton flying around with a, a south pacific marine corps uniform you can and it would be perfectly safe and and legal to do because it's made out of kevlar instead of the cotton that it used to be made out of uh that that's what i would go with but a lot of these folks especially i'm talking to you folks overseas you guys are you guys are flying around in like new old stock leather helmets and masks like what are you doing like it just it blows my mind i I know a lot of folks wear don't wear motorcycle helmets and all this other kind of jazz. But would you would you wear a 1930s motor if you were a motorcycle helmet wearing guy? Would you wear one from the 30s? No, of course you wouldn't. Don't be an idiot. Of course not. The same reason why our military doesn't use steel helmets anymore in, on the battlefield because I don't know we evolved from that. So let's always let's use a little bit of the the more common sense stuff. Which brings me to the point that I missed. About from the first safety cast with uh, with the humpback whale ticking, um, normalization of deviance is a huge problem in the aviation industry. I've been caught up in it. I don't know any aviator, technician, engineer, anybody that has not been caught up in it. And here is what normalization of deviance is: means that I tell you as a new pilot, and you have a L4, you got a grasshopper. All right, you got a essentially a glorified Piper Cub with invasion stripes on it. I tell you, hey, dude, you should probably wear some safety equipment. So you're going to wear everything minus a parachute. You're going to wear a helmet, a flight suit, gloves, your boots, proper uh, undergarments, that kind of stuff. And you go fly. And you fly around that way for, let's say, three months. But then it gets hot here in South Carolina. So you start rolling up your sleeves. Okay. And then it's still really hot. And, you know... I mean, I'm really sweating, so I'm just I'm just going to put on a Bose headset. All right, so the, so now you're flying around and and you know half-ass your stuff, and that becomes your new norm. So now you're just flying around in a flight suit with your sleeves pushed up and a Bose headset. And then you're like, you know, I really can't feel the rudders very well in these these boots. So then you go get your New Balance tennis shoes, and then you become that tool I make fun of. Uh, but that becomes your new norm, and you keep eroding your safety margins to the point of now, okay, now you have an incident. Now you roll the airplane up into a ball, and you your head goes forward and hits the cross member. Um, not here to help you, dude. Like, you deviated from your slowly over time. And it wasn't like an overnight thing. It literally took two years, and you stopped doing what you did from day one. And everybody can say, well, that's evolution. Well, that's also Darwinism. So that's, in my opinion, that's aviation Darwinism. And we do that a lot. You know, the normalization of deviance is what caused primarily the, the Challenger accident back in the 80s. It was their quality control just started going down, 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 and became the new norm not to check things and then to ignore warning signs. And then, unfortunately, 11 astronauts lost their lives. 
So, you know, in the airline industry, we try to make normalization of deviants actually point it out. It's like, okay, there's a red flag. I don't really feel comfortable about this. Here's our standard operating procedure. And we're starting to do a little more in the in the air show world. But the Warbird, like we literally, just like our pilots, we're slow. And uh, we're not necessarily the sharpest tools in the shed, but we're there. And I would love the Warbird industry to start picking up the the um, knowledge and the awareness of when normalization of deviance is occurring because you have personal safety margins and yet you let them erode. It's probably, in my opinion, it's probably the largest killer of anybody in warbirds, maintenance, flying, uh, maintain, I mean, uh, managing any of that stuff. It's all, every time you erode a margin, you get closer and closer to disaster. Just remember that whether you're flying, flying an airplane or you're driving a golf cart, it doesn't matter. Erosion and safety margins kill people. So enough of that. That's safety. That's essentially safety cast in a nutshell. I don't remember how long the original one was. I wanted to condense it. All of this stuff is, it, this should be like aviation 101 to warbird people. And I, and it's, it's made fun of and it's pushed to the side. And I really wish that it would get and gain more traction over, uh, over the next couple of years. I'd love to see a, a reverse, a, a reverse safety culture where it's becomes accepted. So I challenge you, if you're an upcoming Warbird person, do the right thing, wear the right stuff. If you have questions, reach out to somebody that knows either reach out to, I'm not saying I'm an expert in the field, but if you have a question, email me, hit me up on Instagram. Uh, you guys have, uh, if you're, if you've been listening to this for a while, you know, um, airpowerpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on uh, Instagram Quicksilver P51. Send me a direct message there. I try to get back to as many of the, the messages as I can. Not the ones that just say hi uh, or hey, check out my OnlyFans. I really wish he would stop sending me that, but that's a whole other story. Um, my next episode that I'm going to actually record here in the next couple uh, probably hour or so is getting your empanage or your ass in the cockpit of a warbird What's the flight plan? What's the procedure? How do I get there? I'm going to talk you through it. I'm going to say, okay, you're Joe Blow with, um, or Josephina Blow, uh, and you want to fly Warbirds, and I'm going to set up several different scenarios for you, uh, which don't include purchasing an airplane. How about that? That's that's the beauty of this whole thing. You really don't have to spend a whole lot of money. I mean, there's, there's always an investment, but that's what I'm going to be working on next. I'm also going to have a question and answer session coming up, so stay tuned to that. Got lots of things uh, in the works for you. Sorry about the uh, sorry about the original safety cast. That's why I wanted to come back and do this and at least preach my my uh, thoughts and and uh, philosophy on this whole stuff. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you very much for tuning in.